Welcome to The Cooldown, a Bailiwick Express podcast where we meet the people making the sports headlines. Hello, I'm Nick Mann, and this week triathlete Josh Lewis joins me to look back on a year which saw him finish fifth at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Lati, dominate the men's field to take gold at the Island Games, and take on an Ironman in Portugal. And we discuss how he will build on all those lessons learnt for this season. We open up by talking about what the plan was going into 2023. I obviously had about five years course racing behind me, and I wanted to try and I guess try my hand at long course triathlon because I'd done a couple of them and I'd seen some half decent results in them. So I wanted to start focusing full time on that more so than the short course stuff. So going from sprint Olympic distance to 70.3 and potentially, well, what ended up being a full distance as well. So when I was coming up with plans with my coach Luke, it was a case of, okay, well, what are the overarching goals of this season? What do you want to achieve? And how do you want to get there essentially? So I guess the the biggest one was that I wanted to try and qualify for the, the 70.3 World Championships, which was a bit of a stretch goal because you need to come top two in a professional field in a 70.3. And in Europe especially, they're absolutely stacked. So we knew it was going to be a tough order, but that was one of the main targets of the year is just to qualify. Um, and then obviously there was other goals within that season as well, which was to try and win or podium in the Island Games. And then if everything went to plan, then I'd give myself a bit of a punt, a full distance Ironman as well. So those were kind of the overarching ideas going into the season. And it was just about tailoring the program and tailoring my current fitness into what would then be a 70.3 full-time professional athlete. And what and how do you go about that? Just just in, in general terms for people that might not know like, the sort of background to the sport. Yeah. So in general, I guess from a a time in the sport slash time dedicated to training perspective, which is what I guess most people can relate to, it, it ends up being I've done twelve hundred hours or one thousand two hundred hours per year for the past four years now, which equates to, it's on average, it works out about 24 hours a week. But obviously an average is completely different from what you do like a good prep block and in comparison to a race prep week. So obviously some weeks will be more like 20 hours, some weeks will be more like 30 hours. So obviously average is out to about 24 hours a week. But to be honest, when I'm in like actual training, it's more it's closer to 30 hours so near to a working week worth of actual aerobic training nothing to do with the gym that's kind of separate in my in my mind at least so yeah no 30 hours of training is roughly what I aim for when I'm prepping to go into the season and I've done that for the past few years now and it's a case of all of that has allowed me to basically eventually be able to deliver the fitness that I've been seeing in training into a race, because obviously there's a lot that goes into triathlon and you need to know the race specifics and how to actually execute a race really well in order to put out what you're seeing in training. And in, and in terms of that, that preparation as well, and looking at the, the 70.3, how, how did that plan out? 
I guess so it starts off in winter I guess and then you build up a lot of fitness before Christmas and then you basically accumulate as much as you can without risking injury in January you can come into the new year you're able to start building into the uh, first race of the season which ended up being I think mid-March in Lanzarote so you want a decent amount of hours under you by Christmas so, so I tend to work to before Christmas probably just over 100 hours a month um, leading into that and then January onwards it's basically like how close to 30 to 30 plus can I do on the regular so that by the time March April comes round, I'm really fit and ready so I guess the difference between what I was doing prior and and leading into this 70.3 season is that I was doing slightly more cycling so more cycling in general uh, because it's probably a bit more important in 70.3 in full distance because you need to be conditioned to be able to deliver your run and you don't want to be completely exhausted or depleted um, of all your energy sources so you need to make that cycling as easy as possible which is quite tough in a professional field because it's so intense it's literally mental it's like you're doing a two-hour time trial like flat out and there's no let up really so they always hit 60k and just decide yeah we're going to try and drop all the cannon fodder now and just absolutely send it like, oh that is really tough and I'm sure but like try and hang on as long as possible um so yeah you need to be good at cycling I think swimming I haven't really changed much uh, from what I was doing before and then running I did very similar to what I was doing but for the back end of the season to prep for the Ironman that did change a lot as did my uh, cycling as well like that increased significantly as well just just for conditioning more than anything else I, mean, I guess we're used to seeing you at, um, at the pointy end of the field coming out, out of the swim. That's always been a strength, hasn't it? Yeah, fortunately, I've got a swimming background. But to be honest, it took me years to be able to actually crack the swim in terms of what I was seeing in training, like I said earlier, into what I eventually now see in racing. And it was a combination of actually understanding what was going on when I was a swimmer and having a good VO2 max, but producing a lot of lactic and now being able to suppress that lactic a little bit more and be able to still swim pretty solidly for a long time. So it was like understanding all of those things and then being able to put them into practice when it came to a race. So yeah, it took me a long time. Not It was not overnight or it was not straight away out of the like professional or more elite swimming that I was able to just all of a sudden be at the front of uh, triathlon races it's been a it's been a process but it's uh, been a good one and, and in terms of let's move move a bit on into the racing season now so you said it was Lanzarote was the first 70.3 was that yeah, so Lanzarote was my first kind of punt at it, and it wasn't my first 70.3. I'd done a couple in the season before, but they were just like feeling out a little bit more uh, rather than actually trying to be. I was obviously trying to be competitive, but it was wasn't. I wasn't necessarily aiming for the top spots just because it, I was just throwing my hat in the ring. I wasn't specifically training for it then. So Lanzarote was my first one, which I'd specifically trained for. And I, I, I think I did really well. I, I came seventh, which obviously doesn't sound as impressive as some of my other results in the season. But the quality of field, because it was the first European race on the calendar, 
the field was stacked. So I ended up coming seventh, but fifth and sixth were Peter Himmerich, who ended up doing really well in one of the professional triathlete organization races, which like won top tier ones. He came second to Blumenfeld. And then Daniel Backergaard, who had one of, one of the best seasons like on average uh, that most people had. So they ended up being in the top 10 ranked long course athletes in the world. So like to be in touch with them, I think I was only a minute behind those two after four and a half hours of racing. So it, it when you put it into context of that, and once you've seen the rest of the season pan out, you're like, okay, well, I was actually in the mix and that's not bad for my first attempt because the race dynamics, again, as a professional are completely different to what you'd expect. And it's it's just getting used to that and understanding how to put in your efforts and like the tactics as well. And how did you then build on that? So that was in March and then April and May, potentially, I had two races which I didn't do that well in. Uh, they were Marbella and Samarin Challenge Championships. And I don't know what it was. It could have been the heat. It could have just been, I, I had struggled with some running injury in the past as well in early February. And I don't think that I actually managed myself in the heat very well. And I got my nutrition slightly wrong. So those two big learnings from uh, from those races. So they, whilst they weren't great performances in terms of what I was potentially capable of, I think that they helped me a lot with my nutrition so that when I ended up doing Staffordshire 70.3, everything came together really nicely in terms of the experience from those three races to be able to put out a really, really good performance where I managed to qualify for the uh, 70.3 World Championships in Lati. So, yeah, it was it was some good experiences, some bad experiences, but equated to the qualification of what I set out to do at the start of the year. And then obviously enabled me to come to Guernsey and put out the performance that I did there as well with some pretty stiff competition from Ollie. So it, it, it did work out in that respect. Um, I mean, it, 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 I take it was um, it's, it's refocusing back onto the Olympic distance for the Island Games had its own yeah. challenges as well, given your background. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I was quite nervous coming into the race itself because Ollie had been having an absolute screamer of a season. Like He was perf performing better than he ever had done at the Olympic distance. So I knew it was going to be quite tough competition. And because of the nature, we, we trained together. So I knew exactly what sort of nick he was in. And I knew how I was going as well but because we don't really I, I, we train slightly differently he needs to do a lot more top end stuff and I need to do a lot of lower end stuff so it always looks like he's outperforming me in training and then he's going and doing all of these great racing as well so I was coming in pretty nervous and knew I was strong and I knew what tactics I had to do but to be honest, to outswim him like I did, I was really surprised because he's been or had been swimming phenomenally well. And because I've been doing 70.3 races, they're in theory easier because the pace should be slower um, because it's a longer distance. But in a matter of fact, I was probably in, in the best shape I've been in swim wise as well um, to be able to yeah do really well in the swim and then he had to sit on me on the bike to, to stay in touch because we knew that my biking was so much better that 
if he could sit in the draft, he might stand a chance. But if not, then I was kind of going to ride away. And fortunately, because of that swim, it enabled me to, to ride away. And I was I was buzzing when I got out of the water. I couldn't really believe what was happening. So I absolutely sent it off the bike. And yeah, just tried to keep behind me. <laughs> it was like one of those panic runs up the slip and just go as fast as you can to keep him there, essentially. <laughs> I guess incredible memories. Like I, I still look back at like the games. Like, I was down on the slipway when you came out in the water, and there was all the crowds around as well. It must have just been absolute buzz coming out. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Obviously, like I just said, I was buzzing because he was behind me to begin with, and then obviously <laughs> the crowd was overwhelming as well. And I think both of those things just gave me so much excitement and probably a like. I wasn't expecting to be in that position and I wasn't expecting the crowd to be as loud as, and as encouraging as it was. So, yeah, it really all went towards uh, being able to put out a better performance overall as well. And mo- moving forward, well, moving on, looking back at the um, 70, the World Championships, 7.3, what, what, was, what was the plan and what was the expectations at that point? <laughs> it was another funny one. Like, I didn't go in there with any expectation. I hoped and thought that a top 15 would be possible um, and I actually said to my girlfriend Emily like if I get a top 10 I'll buy us a pair of headphones to share <laughs> so not thinking that it was going to happen at all so I was like whatever and um, yeah no again going back to the previous races like even Staffordshire Island Games and also London 70.3 all of those gave me so much confidence to be able to just walk up to uh, the world championships, be amongst all of these best athletes in the world and not not care because I did care, I really cared, but I wasn't overwhelmed by the experience because it was just another race. I just raced Sam Laidlow in London, so he's best anyway. So it was a case of, can I just turn up data gather for the next time that I'm able to be in one of these positions so that the next time I can be competitive for a podium. That was my main aim going into the World Championships is data gathering, like be at the front of the race as long as possible. That was definitely a goal, but it was data gathering rather than an output in terms of a position or a time, I think is what what I did sum up as. And did that mentality switch as as the race panned out as well? And you you could see how well you're doing. Um, yes and no. I don't think I overly thought about it until the last couple of kilometres, the last 5k um, of the run. So I think there's such deep focus in these races because, again, when when I talk about the dynamic in these races, it's really intense. You need to be thinking constantly because you need to be sat behind someone um, at 12 meters or more you cannot drift into that zone for example on the bike the swim to start with sorry is just mental like it's just a bit of a fight you've got to try and like be as high up as possible without losing too much ground without expending too much energy so you're obviously really focused in that that's a proper race then you get onto the bike and you have to maintain this gap or you have to get to the front of the race first so that you've not like lost any ground and then you have to maintain the gaps when you're in that group. And this race was just ridiculous. It was so surgy and it was so intense. The whole time I was just chewing my stem, like head down, just trying to go as fast as possible 
for what felt like two like two to four hours it was like just under two hours i think it was in the end but it was it was such an intense race that i was focusing the whole time i didn't have time to think of anything more than hanging on to the group and then likewise with the run the run was funny because i got onto the run and i i almost expected to feel absolutely dead because of the bike was so hard and i think because it's a slightly different muscle group or muscle groups I didn't feel quite as bad as I thought and I got into my stride got into my pace and I was able to sustain that pace and I was listening to gaps coming down around me so I knew people from the chase group would catch it and then all of a sudden the gaps started to maintain I, I wasn't losing any ground to the people behind so I was like okay and this was like 10k before the end and then I didn't really believe it until yeah the last couple of k because you always think uh, that the past loads of races that I've done people have been coming from behind and have ended up overtaking me so that was always in the back of my head being chased because I'm not the best runner I'm not bad but I'm not the best by any stretch so I usually get caught and James Teagle who I'd raced in Staffordshire and London had caught me and passed me in those two races so he was he was the guy that was behind me chasing so I was running scared the whole time and just expecting him to catch and when he didn't and a couple of k to, to go I was then started to believe I could potentially come fifth here and that then didn't really settle in until after the race when I when I'd crossed the line and when I saw my family and my girlfriend and like just emotion everywhere so I couldn't really contain myself <laughs> It's, it's been an incredible feeling. I mean, how can you describe that? Um, so shock, surprise, relief, I think, is uh, were the three that um, come to mind. So, yeah, overall overwhelming. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't expect to do that at all. Um, and, and, yeah, re relief as well, because... I think I felt more relief in Staffordshire because it's like all that training is worth it. You've achieved that goal that you set out to. Um, whereas I think maybe World Champs was a little bit more kind of overwhelming sense of achievement. I, it's really hard to put into words. And even now, I feel very removed from it because I've come back into or got back into training after that. I had another goal. Yes, I can look back. I can appreciate it and appreciate it for what it was but it, I, it, I feel very detached from it sometimes and it's just like yeah that was a really cool thing that I, that happened but sometimes I forget that I was the one that did it it's a really weird sensation and yeah sort of removed from it does it um, also like play give you that sense of belief that you belong at this level um, and especially like you say with the amount of training you're putting into it um, and the amount of dedication that you, you're putting towards it Yes and no. Um, I I do believe that I'm a very competitive long course athlete, um, but I would be wrong to think that that is my level now, I think. So just because I came fifth in the world, I would not think of myself as the fifth best athlete in the world. I think that I'd need to confirm that with a few more results um, up at that level before before I can consider myself one of the top 10 athletes in the world, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously another goal 
immediately on the horizon, you decide to step up, double the distance. Um, what, <laughs> how did you feel about that? How do you approach it? I was I was terrified, in all honesty. Um, it's a really scary and daunting task to take on a full Ironman. And I think that kept me really honest in my training leading up into it. So a lot of training was done, but I don't think that I gave myself enough time to convert from 70.3 to full distance. I only had six weeks in between the two, and I think I needed more like 12. And I'll do it again this year. Um, but I'll give myself more time to to actually prep for it. And I guess that there were some learnings there. I and mean, I think you've seen on some of your social media postings about the run uh, was particularly hard going at some point. Yeah, I think I got my nutrition wrong. I got my uh, run intensity wrong at the start. And I think that those two things have a massive impact in obviously being able to execute the full at the right pace I was ju I just got a bit carried away because then you got off the bike and I would controlled the bike quite well I'd stuck to my numbers um but it was more of a case of because I felt like I did in Lati and it was a different muscle group really good and I fueled really well like for that it's a case I felt really energized the run got fast and that made me really suffer in the back end of that run or after 15k essentially so yeah it was a big learning I, I need to condition myself better as well in training and that's what those extra six weeks will allow um but all in all a lot of learnings again so similar to Lati, I went in there thinking that I was going to just data gather and that's what happened and I think it will bode really well for the future I mean, an amazing base to be coming from now and looking into next year. What, what's on the horizon for you? So a similar sort of goals to last season. I want to re-qualify for the 70.3 World Championships. I want to go to Challenge Championships in Samarin. Um, I want to uh, throw my hat in the ring again with another couple of full distance irons. And if I don't qualify for... Um, 70.3 worlds then my focus will shift to qualifying for the full distance world championships uh, in Nice not Kona so I think I'll be more suited to Nice. And, and how, does, how do you go about the, the winter it seems like it's back onto the treadmill indoor training as well? So last season I really struggled with um, doing enough run sessions because I work on Fridays and teach architecture, but it's I can't do my key run session on the same day just because either I'm tired from teaching or I prioritize swimming first thing in the morning because I'm never going to swim in the evening. Whereas after work, I can still get out for a run, um, but I really struggle to go hard because either I haven't fueled well throughout the day or I'm tired mentally, so I can't motivate myself to do it. So, yeah, like you said, my solution for this winter is to get in on the indoor trainer um, on the treadmill and just put put it on the speed that I want it. And it's it's so much easier just to let that dictate the pace so that I can just concentrate on putting out the effort rather than having all of the other stuff going on around the dark, darkness, the kind of mental fatigue. And it's it's been re a really good tool so far. And I think it's going to bode really well for my running next season. I guess another indication, like how difficult it is to balance 
um, life as an athlete with life as a, a somebody out out at work and just doing normal things and, and you've got your train your training side as well haven't you yeah I, it's um I love it all don't get me wrong I love it all however I got got to the press conference in Lati and they didn't call me a professional athlete they called me a semi-pro and the reason being is I'm one of the only guys on the circuit that's got a part-time or a couple of part-time jobs to help fund um they're all well sponsored and have financial partners and kit sponsors and this that and the other and I'm just like muddling my way through with my other bits and pieces to help finance which is fine like I love it but it does take away from bigger picture of triathlon being a professional triathlete which is you need to rest you need to recover um as well as putting in the hours of training so yeah and i guess like you're putting yourself in the shop window a little bit with some of these performances anyway so it's hopefully that will bode well in terms of securing sponsorship hopefully i i've not had much luck so far i'm still uh still messaging around and whatnot and i have a manager who's trying to help me get some kit but um the, the yeah the finances aren't great for next season at the moment but i'm hoping something will come through at some point it's one of those things that's really hard to well i don't find it hard to present the the value of, of sponsoring someone like an athlete because I, I can see where where a company would actually benefit from from that but actually getting on the call to give that pitch like explain the value is the hardest part I, I i really struggle to get on the call um with people and yeah it's, it's getting people to part with money is tough it's always tough <laughs> and where's um like moving more into the sport where, where's your where do you think your big gains are in terms of uh performance it's got to be the run like i mean it's quite in my head it's quite obvious that there's a, i'm a long way off some of the best guys running but i'm actually one of the best swim bikers on the on the field so I think if I can just improve that run, which is low hanging fruit, really, because I didn't really do any run sessions until March last year, just because I started off, like I said, without doing many run sessions over the winter period because of teaching. And then I got a run injury in February. So I actually didn't really start doing any sessions until March. So I think that's a lot of low hanging fruit that I think will come to fruition, so to speak, um, in, uh, in this season coming. That's brilliant. Is there anything else you want to, want to add as well? Um, just uh, just thank you to all the Guernsey folk, really. Like, it's been great to see the support as well, whether it be on the social media side of things or whether it be in the Guernsey press or these interviews or anything like that. Like, it's been great that people are actually interested and value, I guess, professional sport. Because it, it, is, it is tough and sometimes, I guess, I don't know if people appreciate or understand but hopefully i'm getting that across with some of my socials and kind of give a bit of an insight in, into that i mean by no means am i being like oh woe well, me like not not at all i love it i i cannot get enough of it it's uh it's just making a living out of it isn't it it's just yeah just one of those things and i've got to say those um youtube videos really insightful if anybody's keen to find out more i can thoroughly recommend watching them they're great That was the cool down. Thanks again for listening. Please like and subscribe for more. You can find all our sports news on gsy.bayluhexpress.com and on all our social channels. 
Sign up to our daily email to keep up to date on all the work the Express team does. 